Hello, everybody, and welcome back to The Ready Room. This week, I am really, really honored to be speaking with Ken Posh Sr. Ken is 94 years old. He was born in 1924, and his story is really uh, a compelling one. Ken was born in Niagara, New York, and raised uh, up in the Niagara LaSalle area. Uh, in 1944, he enlisted in the Marine Corps, went to Paris Island and graduated and uh, was assigned as a gunner aboard the USS Hancock. Uh, the USS Hancock was an aircraft carrier, laid down uh, out of Boston Harbor and uh, sailed to the Pacific campaign from Boston, involved in many sharp actions as part of the Pacific campaign. Ken was a part of of all of those battles. He served aboard the Hancock until VJ Day. Uh, he was then actually uh, stationed briefly in mainland Japan as part of an occupation uh, until they uh, were replaced. And he sailed back with the Hancock to San Francisco uh, from where he was discharged from service and went back uh, to uh, his home in New York and still surrounded by family and friends. But it was really an honor to speak to, uh, to Ken and have him tell his story. The members of the greatest generation are going away and their stories need to be told or they will be lost forever. Uh, so I, I really enjoyed this. I was honored to talk to him. Uh, he's still very sharp. Uh, I can only hope that I can make it to 94 and be as sharp as him. Um, but I hope you enjoy hearing his story. Uh, I know I enjoyed uh, uh, talking with him about it. Uh, we recorded at his house, I'll just say. Uh, I'll just warn you, we recorded at his house, and so you might hear some background noises. In particular, there were they have two cats that were not happy to be outside, so you might hear them during the uh, conversation, uh, but it was uh, it won't detract. His story is, is a great one, and so it is my great honor to bring you a true American hero, Private First Class Ken Posh. Go ahead, introduce yourself for us, please. Uh, my name is Kenneth W. Posh. I'm... can't remember how old I am. <laughs> I'm well, old. Well, your son said 96. When were you born? Twelve four twenty four. There you go. Twelve four twenty four. Awesome. So, what should I call you? Should I call you PFC? Ken. Okay. Good. Yeah. And and my name's Richard, but everybody just calls me Bart. Ken. All right. So, um, so Ken, let's start. Uh, let's take it back. You were you were born uh, in nineteen twenty four. Born uh, in nineteen twenty four in Niagara Falls, New York. Niagara Falls. Nice. Right. Um, uh, what were your parents, uh, what were they doing up in Niagara Falls? My father was a uh, machinist, and he worked at Carborundum. Okay. An abrasive manufacturer. The biggest ma- ma- uh, forget what, abrasive, not abrasive, uh, they made abrasives. Yeah. So he was a machinist, though, for Carborundum? I was. You could call it a machinist, but it was a strictly uh, piecework. And so you were doing it as fast as you could, and sometimes you made mistakes. And 
Because you got paid by what you got finished. So it was one of those processes where he, he was a part of that process, and it was like, hey, don't don't lag behind here. Right, right, right. <laughs> Good stuff. It sounds like awesome, honest work. Um, so Niagara Falls and, and Carborundum, what do, you, uh, what do you remember about growing up there in Niagara Falls? Well, there was lots of water, and <laughs> so I became used to being around water, and I, when I was growing up, uh, we first lived uh, uh, right near the Sacred Heart School down in uh, Niagara Falls uh, proper, and uh, I lived there until I was in fourth grade, and then uh, we moved to uh, LaSalle, which was uh, on the upper river before it went over the falls and uh, was in what, an, a town called LaSalle. Sure, I know LaSalle. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, so, uh, yeah, when, when I said, what, what was Niagara Falls like? And you said there was a lot of water. Yeah, I felt pretty stupid, actually. <laughs> I'm like, yes, there is a lot of water. You're right. <laughs> but but it, was, should... it was stupendous. I mean, the falls themselves were amazing. And in the wintertime, the falls sometimes would be frozen over. And ice, ice on down below ice on a lot of the falls and so the water flow was diminished or hidden and uh, I remember one time when the ice got so high it took out one of the bridges into Canada Wow and it and whole the whole bridge came down and the ice this was more in the spring when the ice was building up in the bottom. And uh, the total drop from the falls to the river in the lower river was, I think, at least 100 feet. Yeah. Uh, that's what it was, 100-foot drop, I think, something like that. You know, I've never been to Niagara Falls. Really? Never been. All these, And I'm, I've lived close to them my whole life, and I've never been up there. You should try it sometime. Well, <laughs> it's a beautiful sight. Yeah. The way to see them the best because you get the American Falls and the Canadian Falls. Uh, what happens with the river, Niagara River splits, and part of it goes over the Canadian side, and then part of it comes, the river is coming down like this, but part of it splits off, goes over this way, and the Canadian Falls is over here, and the American Falls is over here. Yeah. And it's, it's a gorgeous sight. Especially at nighttime when they turn the lights on. Oh man, I imagine. So, That's so great. the best way to see them isn't isn't going over in a barrel. Uh, uh, <laughs> it would be the best way, but not the easiest way. <laughs> I always read all those. I always read all those stories about people trying to go over Niagara Falls in a barrel, and there uh, were a few of them in my life. Yeah, I imagine. Yeah. I'm I'm going to guess that that the locals were probably like, these guys are nuts. Who are these nut jobs? Say what? Every time someone tried to go over the, the falls, you, you locals probably said, yeah. these." Well, sometimes they had uh, walked high wires across. Oh, yeah. Well, I've seen, I've seen old pictures of that. Yeah. That's, 
That's pretty cool, actually. It's crazy. It's crazy. <laughs> I, I think it's probably less crazy than trying to go over in a barrel, uh, yeah. which is almost certain death. Yeah, almost. I, I don't think... Wasn't there one woman sure. who made it? One made it. And she lived? That's... Yeah. Yeah. Um, I don't know that there's been... I, I think they've got that pretty tightly controlled now. I don't think you can oh, try they, it. They uh, frown upon it. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I would think they do. I would... Uh, <laughs> You would probably want to prevent that. I do know that there are there were a few nutties that that tried it, like you said. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I I have never I've never been to Niagara Falls, so at some point I have got to go up there um, and uh, and see that. Um, So did you have? It's interesting because in the Upper River, uh, the rivers concentrated and the falls is amazing and spectacular but then it just gets fast water below but at one point in time and I'm not sure whether I was still alive when this happened or not whether I'd even been born yet um, the ice started building up and it took out the lower arch bridge across to Canada. The ice was so thick, it took the whole bridge out. And it was an immense amounts of ice. And at other times in the lower river, it had uh, serious effects on the land down below, too. Yeah, that's that's amazing to even think about. I don't I don't think that the, the falls ices up anymore. I think at this point that it doesn't ice up in the winter. I, I could be wrong on that. Well, I, you know, it probably is. It, I think the temperature of, in fact, the temperature of the earth is increasing. Yeah, that's right. And, and that could be a part of it. Yeah, I, I, I don't think it's iced over in a while. Plus, don't, I think they control the flow a little bit now. Well, they do. Yeah. They have, they have well, it's not so much uh, controlling the flow, but uh, uh, about a mile above where the falls is, they put in a channel to take some of the water down for power. Right. That's what they did. Yeah. And siphoned it off. So the uh, there are they have certain regulations that during the tourist months they have to let more through during the daytime. <laughs> right. So that people get the full effect. Yeah. yeah, you'd hate to go to Niagara Falls and, and, and be underwhelmed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, what was your family like? You, you brothers and sisters? I had three brothers and Kathy, Kenny, Cindy, Eileen, <laughs> Amy, Tim, Mary, and I had a young another brother that uh, uh, died very young. You were still a baby. So I I counted uh, six siblings? No, it's supposed to be seven. Okay. okay. <laughs> I missed Eileen, Chris, Chris, I miss Chris, Amy, Tim, and Mary. And Leighton was the baby that died very young. Were you? Do you remember? Do you remember that? Remember what? When your uh, your sibling, your younger sibling died? I did, very definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I was still very young when uh, uh, he died, and 
So it came as a shock. Yeah. You know, in fact, the funeral was in their home, just a little service there. So um, that's a big family, by the way. It is a big family. <laughs> is it, are you Catholic? I'm Catholic. Yeah. My mom, uh, her family, uh, she had eight siblings. There were nine of them. Um, and uh, my grandfather, her dad, died when I was one year old, so I never really knew him. Uh, he was in the war, too, by the way, and uh, landed uh, at uh, Normandy um, and, and survived, uh, made it through that. But it, just to give you an idea of the family is where I'm going. So my, my grandfather died when I was young. There were nine of them. My grandmother got remarried uh, to a, a very great man uh, who had 11 children. They had 20 children between them uh, at oh, one point. Yeah. yeah. Uh, now, Do you ever have any of their own? Their, the second, your second husband, your mother's second husband. Yeah. No, they didn't have any more. Okay. Yeah, they were they were wise enough to say <laughs> to say, yeah, hey, well, let's not have any more at this point. So, uh, so even I think even Catholics uh, have a little restraint at some point. <laughs> probably at twenty, at probably at twenty kids, you're you're thinking, yeah, I think I've. I've begotten enough, right? <laughs> enough. Uh, yeah, he was, he was not trying to be Abraham at that point. But yeah, they had 20, 20 children uh, at one point. Now, a couple of them were, were older, but hadn't left the house, but were about to. So it, I don't think they had to put on a, a meal for 20 kids for too long. But um, but yeah, you know, it's funny because bigger families are, are very much a thing of the past at this point. Uh, not many people are... And as a matter of fact, a lot of people are choosing not to have children nowadays, right. which is a, a new sort of trend. Um, but yeah, well, it sound, I mean, having that many brothers and sisters must have been uh, a, a lot of fun. Are any of them still with us? Oh, yeah. There's uh, Kathy, Kenny, Cindy, Eileen, Chris, Amy, Tim. And Mary, all of them. Wow, that's awesome. All of them. That's great. Wow. Yeah. So how often do you guys get to see each other? Well, we get together. A lot of times we'll take vacations together. Yeah. And all go to the beach yep. and go to the shore. We used to go to Rehoboth Beach a lot I know times. it well. In fact, we had, a, we had a home there for a while that we had purchased when we were very young and... Uh, Prices were not sky high. Oh, yeah. <laughs> well, beachfront property is always going to go up. Um, we, we actually had a, uh, our family had a house in Bethany. Oh, did you? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, uh, unfortunately, the, uh, once my grandfather died, there was, uh, there was a disagreement on, on how to best uh, uh, divvy it up. But, so I, our, our, my mom and dad sold our portion of it. Uh, but my aunt and uncle still own the house. Oh, really? uh, and they go all the time. They just fixed it up. I have yet to see it. As a matter of fact, I got to... I, I got to call uh, Beth and Bud and, and see if I can go down and see it. But I love that that area, uh, the Rehoboth, Bethany. It's uh, that's pretty. Oh uh, gosh, we loved it too. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's so great that, that your brothers and sisters, so many, are still around and you're and you get to see each other. That really is. Yeah, it, uh, wonderful. it is fun. Yeah. I, mean, uh, I stay up here at this time of year, you know, spring and summer, and I go to my daughter Eileen's house in Florida. 
and stay there for the, the other months. You're a smart man. And she lives right on the uh, intercoastal waterway. Yep. And so I fish every day. <laughs> that is great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, What? so if you're fishing the intercoastal, what are you uh, probably like, um, uh, what, redfish? Redfish. Um, and, speckled uh, trout? Speckled trout yeah. and... Um, I love fishing. I love it. Uh, There's a couple other fish that I have caught off of her property. Yeah. Um, I, I lived on uh, on the intercoastal waterway in Texas, down by Potter Island for a while. Mm-hmm. Same same type of that uh, that, that brackish fish, specks and, and reds are what I got all the time. But I I love fishing. Been fishing mm-hmm. for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you if you grew up in uh, Niagara and LaSalle, uh, were you ever uh, were you ever fly fisher? I started uh, late when I was in Niagara Falls. Yeah. But just before I went in the service. And then I didn't take it back up again until I moved south. Yeah. Um, yeah, we, uh, uh, brook trout on fly is uh, yeah, was great. I, yeah. I love that in Pennsylvania. Yep, exactly. Yeah. Yep. So. Because um, I lived right here. My wife and I lived right in Pennsylvania for a long time. Yeah. And in York, right? In York. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, what was uh, what was it like? You you moved to LaSalle um, when you were how old again? You said it was earlier. It was earlier. It was in um, I think it was sixty nine when we moved moved here. Um. So you oh sixty nine when you moved to York. Moved yeah. To York. When and when did you move to LaSalle? What to where? LaSalle. Oh well. We're, I was born in LaSalle. Oh, okay. I thought you were born in Niagara. No. Well, yeah, LaSalle is just upriver Got from it. Okay. Niagara. Yep. And, but I was born... No, I was born in um, Niagara, but that was when we lived on uh, a small stretch of uh, one block from the railroad yards, and... And we then had probably four or five kids, and my mother was concerned about being so close because we were on one. We were right on the block that's next to the railroad yards, and so she was concerned about <laughs> us boys going down to the uh, see what we could find that fell out of the trains or something. We were in the box cars and. We were only kids. I mean, we were just young guys. Absolutely. Uh, so she said, "Hey, we got to move." Yeah, you were doing what young boys do best—finding uh, <laughs> something to play. And uh, yeah, I can see that being. I, I can see your mom being uh, worried <laughs> when you're playing down by the railroad tracks. Um, when we moved to uh, La Salle. Uh, that's uh, upriver, and uh, the Niagara River flows from uh, Lake Erie and comes down through Buffalo and Tonawanda and, and North Tonawanda and then on down into Niagara Falls. And where the river is, up, where the Niagara is up there, it, it comes from the... T- 
Buffalo and Tonawanda's, and then it splits, like big wide split, and comes back together again. And in the middle here is Grand Island. Okay. And Grand Island did not have any uh, motor access until until I was. Uh, I think I was probably about seven or eight years old. Maybe a little bit later. I was in fourth grade when we moved there. And uh, they were just building the bridges from the highway from Buffalo through Tonawanda, across the river, across Grand Island, and to the river again, and then across the river again. And they built this first bridge before they built anything else, going from the from LaSalle, which is the upper part of uh, Niagara of uh, Niagara Falls. And um, I was there watching them build that bridge because I was staying with my grandmother on at her house for some reason. I don't know why. Maybe my mom was sick. Well, maybe she needed a break from uh, from <laughs> from break. seven kids. <laughs> okay, so they lived on 68th Street, and the guy that was in charge of building the bridge uh, bought a place on 66th Street, and so and he had a son about my age, and so we hooked up, and his his dad was in the chief engineer on the job yeah and so his dad would let us come down and sit and watch all the work that was going on on the bridge but we weren't even close to the bridge but we could see everything they were doing i can bet that as a couple of young kids that was uh, pretty exciting yeah that's awesome stuff once it was built it was great because then i could walk across the bridge and 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 on Grand Island, there was very few homes there. There were a couple of big farms, but not much else. And once a roadway went in across the rivers, the man that started building up like crazy. I was going to say, some, some but, farmers probably made some money yeah, <laughs> off of selling that's land. That's what it was. <laughs> but it took a long time, so we could walk across the bridge and walk a half a mile down to Woods Creek and fish there all day long and catch frogs in the ponds along there. And uh, we used to think we were great bringing home dinner. Well, you were. You know, it's funny, Ken, because I, I don't know if how... I mean, there's there's not that kind of uh, childhood anymore no, very much. Uh, kids today don't have those kind of experiences. Uh, I mean, obviously, I mean, I mean, look what we have in front of us here, you know, technology, of right. course, uh, uh, just, it, you know, I live on 500 acre farm down in New Jersey, oh, wow. um, it, 200 acres of it is in wood. We have two streams. Uh, we are out there in the woods all the time. My kids, they have a blast and I'm very aware that they're, that that kind of upbringing, that access to those kind of places is not the norm anymore. No, you know, the idea that a parent would actually let their, 
their son walk somewhere by himself with a friend just to go fishing. You know, we're all, we're all so scared now about these things. So it just sounds like a really, it sounds like a great. Well, I had a great time because I was fishing on the Niagara River, the upper, this when we were, lived on the upper river when we were, I went out there, I guess maybe I was 10 or 12. And I still couldn't, uh, I was wanted to work at the local grocery store, but they wouldn't hire me because I had to be 16. Okay. <laughs> and I was only about 12. And I was dipping my own bait on, uh, on the river. We had crayfish, you know, yeah. crabs. And uh, I'd dip them and take them over to this uh, place called Mang's Fish Market. And they would, if they were ready to shed, they, they're underneath all turned to brown. They're ready to shed, then they're going to turn soft. And Mang sold them for the, to the fishermen as soft shell crabs. So I'd bring them the shedders, and they'd pay me a penny apiece for each one I brought to them. And it was big money. That's a big deal, yeah. <laughs> I was making big money. Well, I just love that you were 12 years old and looking for work. I, that is obviously, again, something that just does not happen uh, nowadays. Well, uh, when I got old enough that I could get a, a, I think they called it a work permit for kids. Uh, I'm sure that's against the law now. <laughs> there was a... A and P store right yeah, there. Yeah, yeah. I, I got in there and started working and uh, putting up produce in, in the aisles. Yeah, the stocking. Yeah, that's a perfect job. Yeah, that's, it was great. Oh, that, for heck high yeah. Well, I love that you were catching too crayfish, uh, and I have to make myself say crayfish. I can tell you're from the north because you say crayfish. Yeah. You know, down south it's crawdads or, or crawfish. Crawdads. <laughs> and if you're real, if you're real down there, it's uh, mud bugs. <laughs> but you know, and, and by the way, crayfish are 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 harder to find now. Um, you used to find them in the streams all the time. Uh, the two streams we have on our property, I've I've never seen a crayfish. Never. And uh, I, I imagine they probably were full of them before, but. Uh, what a great that is a great story C- catching the uh catching the shedders and and selling them uh oh, yeah. for a penny a piece is just that's just awesome uh, i love that story man yeah so um it, it sounds like it was just a great a great place well, i had and, a uh, uh trot line set up too where i had a weight on each end and yeah. i had 50 hooks on there and i used to set the hooks now it was still legal then to have the truck. Yeah, yeah. It's not anymore. Yep. But I go out in the morning and I had a hook that I, I had a bobber's floats on each end of the line, so I knew where it was and I'd drag it, bring the line up and hand in hand across the boat, taking off the good fish that I could take to Mang's fish market, and um, catching. Uh, bait fish too you know like i mean they were big so there were fish you'd cut up and use for bait so i had a nice little business going there too <laughs> i love it very entrepreneurial yeah. yeah there's uh it seems like there's again less of that today um i don't know we'll see maybe maybe i'm just missing it maybe my kids will surprise me and they'll be looking for work at 12 years old but <laughs> it seems like that's uh frowned upon now but i, I just that's a great story 
And and I almost like Mangs. You know, you've mentioned Mangs a couple of times now. I, I have a picture in my head, but do you, do you still remember Mangs? I remember. Yeah. Yeah. You went to high school in LaSalle then, right? I went to the high school at LaSalle High School. Yeah, LaSalle High School. Okay. I graduated from LaSalle. And it wasn't long after that. That was when the war was starting to heat up. Yeah. Okay. Well, you know, so what was that like? Um, when, when, uh, so how old were you when, uh, when Pearl Harbor happened? I was uh, 17, I think, or 18. 17, I think 17 when Pearl Harbor started. And uh, I think I was 19 when I went uh, in the Marines. Yeah. So the war in Europe would have been going on for a couple of years at that point. What do you, what do you remember? I mean, what was the, what was the mood? I mean, you were in high school, so you must've been what you were, you said 17 when, when Pearl Harbor, uh, occurred, which means you would have been 15, 16 as, uh, as Hitler would have been rolling across Europe. What do you remember about that time? Were you and your buddies talking about it? Was there a sense that things were going to happen? Yeah, we were worried about it. Um, and I got a job at, uh, when I graduated high school, then I got a job at uh, uh, where did I get that? Oh, it was uh, Carborundum. Oh, well, that's where, you, yeah, where your dad worked. Huh? Where your dad worked. Right? Yeah, your dad Your dad worked at Carborundum. My dad was yeah. still there. My dad, my dad there was a, he was a brilliant man. I mean, he had worked. He worked on these machines that had little tiny pieces that they were. What would happen is, is these little pieces would be molded, and then fired and burned to a certain temperature. And then they'd have a scale all over them, and, and they, they had to get that scale off, so they had a usable tool. And so my dad worked on things this small and little, and uh, he worked out all these different ways of tools, making his own tools, and getting the machine shop to make a tool for him. And he worked on piecework. So you got paid by the pieces that you cut, and then per- the uh, function you performed on him. And he had a stack, and you pull a sheet out that you'd turn in, and then they knew that's what you, you should be paid for. But he had stacks of chits like that, and they all the company was always wondering, how come those, those parts should have been finished by now? But they were finished, but he... He could only turn in so much because they would not pay him for it. It was, <laughs> it was too much. So he's reaching his limit. He was reaching reach the limit, and then he turned turn some slips in. He was a sly, sly old guy. Yeah. You know the rest of the time, he was out kibitzing with all his friends in the, on the shop. It's, it sounds like they should have uh, promoted him. Well, it was amazing, though, you know, 
And I worked there for a while before I went in the service. But uh, they had big belts that came through overhead, make probably 30, feet, 30, 40 feet high. And you had a big long rod that would move the belt onto the, the, the belt had uh, the gears that were like this and then that big so that when you pushed it with your the belt with your rod your I forget what you used to call it it would push it onto the track that would give it some power the machine's power and then when you were finished you'd move it off of it and uh, it was a primitive kind of Production. It's amazing that I'm. I was amazed that the war effort geared up so, so fast. But they finally start did improving on how they would do it because they had to. Yeah, well, war war has that effect, doesn't it? Of uh, of engendering a pretty good amount of innovation. Innovation. Yeah. When when life and death is on the line, um, people really. get creative and, and there's more of an impetus for it like people are like yeah hey let's make this happen regardless of the cost well because of that uh, then after the the war why carburetum started to deteriorate there wasn't as big a demand because the auto industry hadn't really got into full swing and, yeah and and so carburetum closed their plant and uh, and their and their main offices were there too Closed the main offices and uh, moved to New Jersey, but they didn't last long there either. And then they they finally went under. Yeah, there was uh, there was a lot of manufacturing that I think moved to New Jersey. Uh, I wonder were they near Trenton? So what? Were they near Trenton, New Jersey, when they moved? Do you remember? I think they were, but I'm not absolutely sure. I just remember, you know, the old the old phrase is still on the bridge there at Trenton. Trenton makes, the world takes. That's yeah. uh, not so much the case anymore, obviously, but yeah. Uh, yeah, there was a time. So, you, yeah, you went to work where your dad did. What, was, did your dad encourage that? Well, he, he didn't encourage it, but he said, you know, just apply, you might be able to get a job yeah. there, and so I did, and then uh, it started uh, probably when I started. This was because of the war effort. Uh, they had to start hiring women too. Yeah, of and course. They hired women running the machines. Yep. And that went on, and because I remember there were two or three of the machines that I worked on. There was probably eight machines. Ate the same one machine, and uh, I think uh, two of them, once the war had started, two of them only were male operators, and then the rest were female yeah. operators. Yeah, yeah. No, obviously the war did uh, did a great amount for, uh, uh, for getting women into the workplace. Uh, that's, that's one of the things that came out of it. Yeah, I mean, the old... my mom worked. Yeah, good. I, I, my mom worked at Bell Aircraft, and uh, and Bell had a big part playing in the war yep. too. Yeah, 
No, that's a great, that, you know, it's, it, it's so interesting to hear you say that because, you know, of course we study it and you see the Rosie the Riveter uh, posters and, uh, and it was a, such a big impetus for uh, increasing women's rights, you know, them getting out of the house and getting into the workforce. And it didn't just happen here, it happened everywhere. Mm-hmm. Matter of fact, I just recently read a story. I mean, not only were they in factories, but I, I know that in the Soviet Union, especially, the w- women were, uh, were fighting. And I just read a great, great article or story about a, a Russian, a female Russian fighter pilot. Uh, and she was an ace. She did real well. And she had shot down this very famous German ace. Uh, they captured him. And he had a significant amount of aerial victories. And and the Russians told him, hey, you, yeah, you got shot down by a female. And he was like, that's impossible. Didn't happen. And uh, and sure enough, they brought her in to talk to him. They, they, she actually went and talked to this guy. They were... They were both very good. I mean, he was a famous ace, and she had become an ace, and so she went in and talked. And she described the entire dogfight in sequence, and and what he had done. And he just looked at her and went, "Wow!" And and and, I, and at the end, he, he you know he shook hands. That the, the guy went back to Germany. He survived the war as a prisoner and went back to Germany. But uh, yeah, obviously the the war had a such a big impact on on um, on women's yeah, rights. Yeah, females working. Yep. And out of necessity, sometimes we need that impetus as a society to go. Oh yeah, we uh, we may have been underestimating this person. <laughs> so uh, that's. Well, I think that a lot of companies would uh, enjoy having them come to work for them because they're having trouble finding anybody. Yeah, right absolutely. Them. Well, that significant portion of the population was uh, was signing up which I guess we'll get to here in a moment. But so you were in high school and you were, and you got this job. Uh, meanwhile, Europe is already at war. Was. Um, what was the talk about, uh, like with you and your buddies? Do you remember? Well, it was about all getting out and getting in. It's, it's, it's such an amazing thing. I, I hear this uh, uh, again and again, how almost every young American male was, was like, yeah, I, I want to sign up. I want to go. And I don't know if that's uh, I don't know if that's still the case, really. I mean, so I served for 24 years, and and I went, you know, I I had a desire to go serve. I had my reasons for going in, but uh, I don't I don't think that there's a lot of young people today uh, that are that are clamoring to go fight for our country. Well, but I, you know, the, I know one in that. In fact, uh, I think his mom, mom was here. She came over and gave me a hug and kissed me when I got in this morning. Her son is now in the CB. In the, what is he in? It sounded like you were about to say CBs, the Navy CBs. I think it's CBs. Yeah, love the CBs. He's uh, in. Uh, South Korea right now. Okay. I spent a little time in South Korea. He's uh, uh, helicopter maintenance. Okay. That's what he does. Well, I flew helicopters. That's what I did. Oh, did you? Yeah, I was a Cobra pilot. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Lover Max. Uh, it, but he's probably not a CB then if he's a helicopter Mac. But, um, well, good for him. Yeah. So you and your buddies, uh, you're, you're, all, you're all kind of, hey, we're, we're going to sign up. But this is before Pearl Harbor. Was there a sense that it was inevitable that the U.S. was going to join the war? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it was. I wondered, in fact, I think some, some of the K-1 
kids didn't go off before. Well, that's right. I mean, you know, the, the flying tigers were over in China before we ever got into the war. Um, um, yeah, so I, I can see that, you know, the call to do something probably would have been, I think there were Americans that joined the, uh, like the Canadian forces. and. Yeah, in fact, I lost a lot of good high school friends. Some of them were in uh, I'm trying to remember where Ernie was, Okinawa, I think. Got beat up there. I lost a lot of good friends from high school. We used to play ball together, sandlot baseball. And uh, we play uh, at uh, Lupino's house, we play, uh, go and play pinochle. And both Lou and Orvi Myers, and uh, I, for, I think maybe it was of the two little boys, got shot up pretty bad. And uh, Trying to think of where it was in the Pacific. One time in the, we when we went back into Ulithi, uh, I think it was Ulithi we went back to, and we had uh, resupply and have one day on the beach, and uh, I'm walking on the beach over there and. All of a sudden, I hear "pash," and Paul Sitzenstatter came up, and he graduated high school with me. And so the two of us had a nice good. He was in the Seabees, had a nice good chant together, and uh, and and he managed to get us a free extras because the Seabees were taking care of the the island. The Seabees are great. Yeah, he got us a couple extra beers. <laughs> there's a friend right there oh <laughs> uh, you know it's funny because you know as marines we always like to say first to fight right Amen. but but i remember um it, one of my one of my marine buddies one time said it best and i just remember thinking you know that's true it's like yeah marines first to fight but not until the CBs get there and lay something down <laughs> first. <laughs> so i think the navy can at least lay a little bit of claim to uh because yeah the CBs are just uh Man, they, they just they work miracles all the time. They still do, by the way. They still do. Oh, they still do, yeah. I, you know, over in, when I went over to Afghanistan, uh, the Seabees were there just building stuff, of course, you know, say, and doing the same thing they always do, which is scrounging for things and, and making miracles happen out of nothing. And, and the Marines are like, okay, we're here now. And they're like, yeah, thanks for joining us. <laughs> uh, that must have been a great reunion. So uh, um, when you... Uh, you know, going back, I'm thinking now, and you're talking about your buddy there in your Lithy. Um, you graduate from high school. Um, or was it one of those things where, you know, the day you graduate, uh, you sign up? Or you said it was we were 19, so I guess Pearl Harbor still hadn't happened. Um, did Was it after, I guess it was at, was it after Pearl Harbor that you said, hey, I'm signing up now? Is that? Well, I had uh, uh, deferment. 
Because I was working at Carborundum, yeah, yeah. and Carborundum was a critical, uh, supplied critical parts, and so they had deferred me, and I had a fight to get them to drop the deferment so I could put my name in, and then they put my name in, and then the, the deferment was gone, so then I could go anytime, and that's when I went right after that. God bless you. Obviously, you could walk into any recruiting office <laughs> at that time. Yeah. What was why the Marines? Do you remember? I just felt that they had such a great reputation for what they did, and they were outstanding. Uh, I had uh, some question about it, but I. It was really the only thing that came to mind to do. Well, I think you picked the right one. <laughs> I, think I, I think I did too. Plus, they have. We definitely still have the sharpest uniforms. Say what? We still we still have the sharpest, sharpest uniforms. Uniform. There's no two ways about that. <laughs> did uh, you Did you have a girlfriend at the time? Who me? Yeah. No. I no. So. I didn't have any. Yeah. So you 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 cut a dashing figure when you're uh, when you put on the uh, blues. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, didn't have any gr- girlfriends until I met my wife. And, uh, you know, I imagine that makes it a little bit easier when you're signing up, not having to say goodbye to a sweetheart. I didn't have to worry about anybody. Yeah, yeah. I didn't have to worry about anybody. What did your parents say? Say what? What did your parents say? What did they say? Yeah, when you signed up and. I imagine they probably expected it. They were upset, but they knew, and so they said, fine. Yeah. You know, wish you luck and go to it. And then my mother went to work at Bell Aircraft. Uh, I think that was probably six months after I had gone. Uh, she went to work at Bell Aircraft. My father was working at uh, Carborundum, and I think oh, my sister Genevieve was a sharp. She was the sharpest one of the bunch. She was older than I was, a couple of years older. Uh, she was the sharpest one of us kids, and uh, she was a secretary for somebody at a manufacturing place, can't remember the name of it now. But she was uh, Secretary of the Year one year of the whole country. And Ann Southern, remember Ann Southern in the movies? You know, I I don't. She was in the movies, and she was in a long time. She's the one that presented this uh, award to my sister. She was like Secretary of the Year for the whole country. How about that? That's amazing. And... uh, she was a sharp woman. I mean, smart, too. Smarter than her dumb brothers. But <laughs> she did great. Yeah, I can imagine your mom was probably... I mean, if she was... Uh, it has to be hard. It has to be real hard. Yeah, it I mean, you know, as a, as a dad, it's a little different. You know, I'm sure your dad probably understood a little bit in terms of... Well, he did. What you... 
he had been exposed to some military life because uh, the, the family originally came from Canada. And uh, my uncle Bob, my father's brother, uh, Bob was a uh, captain in the uh, Canadian Army, but he was stationed. He, he was way too old at the time of the war. He was a lot older and to, to be going into combat. And so they sent him to Washington as, what forget what they called it, in the embassy there. And so, uh, why did I get on this? Well, you were talking about, so we, we had said, hey, your dad must have understood a little bit more, you know, yeah, in terms because, of what, in terms of that kind Bobby, of duty. Well, yeah. Bob, his, his uh, brother was a, uh, in the, Mar- in the uh, Canadian Army. Yeah. And he was in, uh, in Washington as... I forget what title he had, some general. Uh, That's fine, yeah. So some sort of a barracks, uh, barracks billet, yeah. yeah. And uh, so they were all at least used to it. I mean, they knew. And because Bobby had been in, and he retired from the Canadian Army. As a major or something, So what was it like? You went in. Uh, you went into the Marine Corps recruiting office. H- how did that go? When you, uh, from the time you walked in to, to stepping on yellow footprints. I don't think it was very long. I, I just don't remember yeah. how long it was. So you went in, you signed some paperwork. Signed paperwork. A recruiter's job must have been pretty easy back then. Well, it, it was. In fact, I was at the recruiting office. I was assigned. There was a group of a seven or eight of us from the falls who were going down to Paris Island. And uh, they just assigned me. I think I was probably the brightest kid in the, out of the six of us that were going. And I w- was in charge of this group going to Paris Island. And uh, we got to Paris Island, and I lost my authority pretty fast. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, that's the idea, right? <laughs> you have but you have we, zero authority. <laughs> but we got there, and there was uh, probably about seven or eight o'clock at night, and we hadn't had anything to eat all the way down. Yeah, did you so, take a? What'd you do? Did you take a bus or a train? Say what? Did you take a bus or a train? Do you remember? Took a bus. Took a bus down. Yeah. Yeah, I, I took a bus as well when I went to uh, officer candidate school in Quantico. And but it, I still remember that ride. Do you remember that ride down? Ride down, and uh, they we hadn't had anything to eat. It was a long ride. Yeah. And it was, geez, yeah, all the way down to Paris Island. Forever. Yeah. And um, so they 
took us into the kitchen to get us something to eat. And uh, there's all us scraggly kids and somebody yells out, Pash! I, who knows me here? And this is an older kid that went to school with me. He was in a couple grades ahead of me. And uh, he said, they had taken us to the mess hall, and he said, Pash, oh, we'll get y'all guys all something to eat because we hadn't anything to eat all day. So these, the other kids that were with me, they said, hey, that's pretty good. You can get all this food and attention and laugh. And, but that was the last I had of that at Paris Island. <laughs> I was going to say, that is not the, uh, the Paris Island greeting that most people get. <laughs> Trouble in Paris Island because uh, it was winter time. Uh, I think it was in December. I'm not sure, but we all were soaking wet. We were out on the range fighting for going to fire that week for a record. And I was shooting on the range. I was shooting at uh, the highest grading you can get on the on the rifle. What was that? On your shooting, not marksman or something. The t- top ranking expert, right? Uh-huh. Expert, expert for us, right? It's an expert, uh, then sharpshooter, and then marksman. I was firing for expert. Yeah. And uh, that week, and early in the week, it rained, and we were soaking wet, and I got pneumonia. And so they sent me to sick bay out on the rifle range. And, I, of course, I put my rifle on a rack outside, and... I, when I went in, I told him, uh, you got to take care of that rifle. you got to tell somebody that it's there. Take care of it. And uh, they just let it sit there. Because when I uh, got there, I had pneumonia. So I almost died. And I was there for five days in the hospital. Lost my platoon and everything. Everybody, they'd all moved on. So I got into another platoon and went to fire uh, for a record. And I uh, guess I was still woozy or something because all I got was marksman. I <laughs> didn't, didn't get the top rating on it. And I was uh, really upset by that. But I was not, you know, because of my uh, stay in the hospital and still not... Uh, no chance to get a little extra shots and I had to go right away for a record and I got marksman but I missed out on the expert so. that's alright that's kind of the story for uh, <laughs> for many of us we don't we don't get that expert the first time even if we weren't uh, but that that had to have been tough going to sick bay uh, 
for that amount of time when you're when your buddies are all moving on and yeah. you have to join another platoon that, that makes it difficult uh, and then when they left the rifle sitting on a rack and oh yeah the rain and it was rusty and, and uh, did the di get a hold of that at some point huh? did the di get a hold of that at some point and see a yeah. rusty rifle oh yeah yeah you're not that's never good <laughs> I can't imagine the uh, the the, the uh, brow beating you you got for having that rusty rifle. Yeah. <laughs> There's nothing worse than they can find rust. It doesn't matter how well you clean that Amen. thing; Amen. they can find it. Amen. And so, if it's just rusty out there, it's almost well, like they look at you. I was proud like, of that. I was anxious to fire for record. Yeah, I, I knew I was going to get my get expert. I just knew it. But yeah, it didn't work out. Well, yeah, having pneumonia is Sorry, having pneumonia is probably not going to help. So, no. <laughs> I think uh, I wouldn't feel too badly about it. Plus, if you can shoot, you know you can shoot. Everybody sometimes you have a bad day on the range. Everybody knows that. <laughs> so, yeah, I remember the last time I shot, I got sharpshooter, not expert, and I missed it by one point. And, and I remember I had three tries from the five hundred yard line to get that last one in there. And and I'll be damned, every one of those shots I fired felt great. Like, I, I pulled the trigger, and I was like, oh, that's in. And three times in a row, it came up outside the black. And that last one, my heart just sank. I was like, you got to be kidding me. How did I miss three times in a row? I'm so good from back here. But, yep, there it was. I got I got sharpshooter instead of expert. I don't know. I had a buddy, though. He, you know what he said? He said, uh, he said, I'd rather be sharpshooter anyway. And I was like, oh, yeah, why is that? He goes, well, one, the, the badge looks cooler. He goes, and plus, if you tell somebody you're an expert – they look at you like, what do you mean you're an expert? You're an expert at what? How are you an expert? But if you tell them you're a sharpshooter, they think that you're a sniper. <laughs> it's like, you're a Marine sharpshooter? <laughs> Here's, and then I don't have to tell them. I'm not going to let the truth get in the way of a good story. Yeah, I'm a Marine sharpshooter. <laughs> and they think you're a sniper. <laughs> so, yeah. No, I'm sure you can shoot just fine, Marine. Don't worry about it. <laughs> so... You know, I'm just, uh, I still am thinking about that, uh, you know, riding back down. So you rode all the way to, to Paris Island, you and your buddies. Do you remember being nervous or, or, or were you anxious, excited? Well, when we got there, they uh, got us some, because I knew somebody yeah. that was there. And he said, well, we'll get you some food. <laughs> it's, and it's, so... So, so you didn't step off the bus, and they were yelling at you right away. You, yeah, you stepped yeah. off the bus, and they got you food. Yeah, I got us food. That's that's almost like a psych out. Yeah. Like, hey, how are you? It's going to be a lot of fun here. Let me get you some but food. And somebody <laughs> came, and, yeah. and this was a good friend of ours from Niagara Falls. Yeah. And uh, but somebody upper echelon from what that he was a cook. And they, they came in and said, what are you guys doing here? <laughs> you got to get you checked in. I was going to say, that that's, that had to have been an oversight. The the idea is that you step off the bus and you're getting yelled at right away. And you get on those yellow footprints and uh, and they, they proceed to tear you down. Yeah. So, yeah, boot camp, Paris Island. So you, you were there in the winter. There's sure. good and bad to that, I guess. The bad, of course, is getting pneumonia. That's yeah, not fun. That, that was terrible. But you didn't have the sand fleas. Right, no, I so, <laughs> so I guess there's good and bad um, in that. But boy, I'll tell you, it, you know, I went through uh, I went through OCS, uh, Officer Candidate School, and Basic School both in the summertime, and 
I don't function well in the cold. <laughs> I, I think I'll take the heat anytime, even though it, it that kind of sucks too. But <laughs> I don't know, man. I, once it, when it gets to a certain cold point, I just shut down. I'm like, yeah, man, I can't move. <laughs> so I don't know what would be uh, I don't what would be worse uh, uh, in terms of. Yeah, in terms of going through a boot camp, summer or winter, they they both. Yeah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter when you go. It's it's gonna. It's not gonna be fun. <laughs> no, How about your DIs? Do you remember your your drill instructor? Uh, I do, and we had one guy that was exceptionally sharp, but I don't remember his name. But he was really a sharp dude, and he was. He was what I call a good instructor. Yeah. He was good. I mean, he wasn't nasty, but he was good, and he did what he had to do, and he did it right. And uh, uh, I think everybody enjoyed him tremendously. Wow. that's. <laughs> I mean, he was that good. Yeah, you don't hear that very often, no, that, that people had, enjoyed them. He, he had some... Uh, not, not that they're not good, of course. I think, I, I think almost all of those DIs are are really good. I mean, there's some bad ones, but they're all pretty good. But usually, you don't hear the word "everybody enjoyed him." <laughs> when it, you did because he was, you got the message. Yeah, you got the message well, and uh, he had ways of teaching, like uh, on the rifle range. There, he, he was super good. He just got to. The, concentrate and um, well the best DIs have a way of bringing out the best in you that's what he did yeah even though you're not necessarily having a good time uh, you know that they're pushing you beyond your limits in a way that's going to make you a better uh, marine uh, and, and ultimately, hopefully, save your life and the lives of your uh, comrades. Mm-hmm. So, I, I do know what you mean by that. I, I it's uh, I remember all of them. So, uh, the platoon sergeant, my platoon sergeant was Staff Sergeant Kirkpatrick, sharp guy, a- admin type Marine. Uh, the, and I had two the two sergeant instructors underneath them were Sergeant Holt and Sergeant Martin, uh, both great. And I just remember, I, I will, I will not forget them to this day. They were all good. They were all good. Um, we had one sergeant that was. Uh, uh, where had he been stationed? So it was someplace in the Pacific there for a long time, and it, some of the stories he used to tell about where they were. I think he was in China. That's where he was. He was in China. And he said living in China and being in the Marine Corps was a piece of cake because he had coolies and female help and taking care of you and taking care of all the polishing of your shoes and everything else. And and he, he really, he was a real China Marine. Yeah. And he was... Well, on, some, some assignments are easier than others. Yeah, but he was on board ship then, too. I think he was stationed on our gun mount. Is that right? Was he on the, was he on the same ship as you? Yeah. Really? Wow. Yeah. That must have been uh, 
That must have been interesting. To, you know, going back to the DI thing, I, I, of course, I remember all my DIs. I remember their names. I can still see their faces. I remember that Sergeant Holt, Sergeant Instructor Sergeant Holt, um, two t- they were all like this, but, but Sergeant Holt was this tall, uh, in-shape guy. Um, and he was, if, if your platoon had him for uh, physical training that day for PT, uh, you were in for it because he was in, he was so in good shape. And I, I thought I was in pretty good shape at OCS myself, but yeah, man, running, running with him, PT with him. But now the uh, staff Sergeant Kirkpatrick, he was in shape. They were all in shape, no two ways, but I, I could hang with that guy. So if he was PT and S, I, I was like, okay, this is, he can't run as fast as me. So I know I'm, I'll be okay. <laughs> so I just remember that. And the other thing I know about DIs, and it seems like every Marine says the same thing is they, boy, they are the meanest SOBs when they need to be, but they're funny. Like they're always like they are funny in that weird dark humor way. Like when they're yelling at you, sometimes they're saying some funny stuff. You know, it doesn't sound funny when it's aimed at you, right? But like when you're hearing your buddy getting chewed out by one of them, you're just laughing. You're like, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty much true. Everything he's saying to you. <laughs> I don't know if your guys were like that too. They, most of them were, except the one guy. There was a China Marine. He was kind of laid back. Okay. Yeah. Well, I guess that's. Having a laid-back DI has its benefits, too. So um, so you made it through. You, you got over the sick bay uh, thing. Got over sick you, bay. You got, you got past the, the, rusty, uh, the rusty rifle. <laughs> I, was, I was in a hospital for four or five days, five days. Yeah, that's... So you graduated, though? I did. Yeah. How was, how was graduation day? You remember that? They pinned that EGA on you? Do you remember that day? I don't remember. You know, I, a, a lot of it has gone from my memories. A lot of, a lot of those. That's things. okay. It was a long time ago, Ken. I guess <laughs> I can't remember where my keys are from yesterday. So, <laughs> but I do remember when I graduated from OCS. Now the problem with graduating from OCS is I was still in college. I wasn't a Marine yet. I went through OCS, but it's not like getting out of boot camp, where they pin that EGA on you and off you go. I, I went back to school for another year and then got commissioned at the end of my senior year. So I had to wait to pin it on. But I, I do remember feeling really like I'd really accomplished something at the end. of You know, when we when we marched across that deck, you know, with our sergeant instructors. And I remember how the sergeant instructors, uh, you know, the DIs, they, they as you get towards the end, they back off a little, right? The, the idea is they break you down in the beginning and they make you nothing. And you are nobody. But as you're getting closer to graduation, they, they back off and they start. And, and I remember even one time Sergeant Holt looking at me as I was a PT and he was like, you got this Bartolomea? I, I couldn't believe it. I couldn't believe it. He, he looked at me, said my name and was encouraging it. And it was like right towards the end. And that was deliberate, you know, like, hey, you're, you're about to graduate. You're going to be one of us now. Well, that's good. Yeah. And I, I don't know if that was the same for you. If your DI is kind of towards the end, there was the recognition that, hey, yeah, you guys, you're going to be a Marine. Um, well, I think I probably would have seen that without the DEI we had first before I got pneumonia because that group had gone on. And so I got somebody brand new and there was no connection, not a real connection between me and him. Yeah, it's not the same. 
They were just processing me to yep. get me signed to some group that was going through, and and then I was uh, uh, through the training. So, and they did well to make sure that I got caught up, like to where they were. Uh, but I was wasn't long before I was being shipped out. So yeah, you graduate and uh, and then you get your first assignment. Do you remember? Uh, did did you get to pick what you wanted to do? Uh, I'm sure you had to fill out something that said, "Hey, I want to." Yeah, well, I I did get to pick what I wanted to do at first. I think I think because I was the uh, when we got on board ship, I got. Well, we picked up, we got the ship. Uh, we were there uh, in uh, uh, Boston, Massachusetts. Yeah. And That's where they laid the ship, right? Huh? That's where they laid the ship. They laid Boston, the ship yeah. there, but we were there, the Marines were there long before we should have been there. I mean, they, and we were in these <laughs> barracks called the Fargo Barracks. And <laughs> I just got to laugh for a minute, Ken, because you said that the Marines, yeah, we were there long before we were, should have been there. That, that's how the Marines always are, right? Did, did you guys get to say, did you say hurry up and wait? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> hurry up and that's wait. That's what it was. That's what we were doing. And we were in, in, in uh, Boston, and we were in a uh, place we called the Fargo Barracks. Okay, yeah. And it was an old uh, office building, and then it was plush as could be, and we had to go. That's not bad. Yeah, and um, but we were a lot of the crew was starting to come in. Then I mean, all the crew was being assembled to to go on board ship, and uh, but they had us there probably a month ahead of time. And we, did you know? So you, uh, what, what was your MOS officially? MOS. Yeah, your uh, occupational specialty. I don't know if they called it MOS back then, but uh, you you weren't uh, you weren't like infantryman. You were a gunner. I was a gunner. Yeah. Right. I, w- I was the gunner on a twenty uh, millimeter gun. Yeah, on on the uh, Hancock, Hancock, which we'll, we'll which we we'll get had, to. Uh, I want to. We had. Uh, but did you pick that? Like when you graduated from Paris Island, did you say, "Hey, I want to be a gunner," or did you say, "Hey, I want to be infantry," or "I want to be artillery"? Did you get to pick any of that at all, or did they just tell you, "Hey, Pash, here's where you're going"? Well, that's. I had. I think they gave us choices. Yeah. And you had first, second, and third, and I think that. Uh, sea going was my first choice. Okay. Because I loved the water. I, I loved being on the water, and I got selected for that. And um, so then we went to sea school. And where was that? Was right there in uh, Massachusetts. We took it right up there in Boston. Okay. So you did, you did your training up at uh, I did the training yep. there. You know. Um, I, not to interrupt, Ken. The, you know, I just did a trip to Boston with my daughter not long ago. Right. We did our, we we do a daddy daughter weekend uh, every year, and uh, we went to Boston, 
And, you know, the USS Constitution is, is moored there, uh, and you can get on, and uh, it's a great, great museum, floating museum. But it's actually still a, a, uh, a commissioned naval vessel. Oh, really? And so there's a, a whole contingent of Navy and Marines right there that is still aboard. Uh, they have a commanding officer, XO, the whole contingent is there. And the museum is run by the Navy and there's a Marine Corps detachment. Anyway, the barracks are right there. There there's, it's still a base. It's uh, not a base, but a a post. There's still a post. I wonder if the Fargo barracks is one of those buildings because they're old. Well, it could be. You, You should go up. You should go up and see the constitution in Boston and see if one of those old buildings is is the far what you called the Fargo barracks? Probably is. I bet you it is. I bet you it is. I mean, you know, the Marine Corps. We don't, we don't do anything new, right? We all. <laughs> we all that's get a the, long time. That's what the that's what the Air Force get. That's what the Air Force gets. <laughs> you can give your son grief later for that. <laughs> they get all the new things, and the Marine Corps does what they can with the, the hand me downs. Uh, I'll bet you the Fargo barracks are. I, th- I think we're probably still in them. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I mean, it was a nice building. It was great. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so you, you went up there. You did your training uh, there in Boston. In, uh, right in around Boston. And the ship was built in the Navy shipyard. Yeah. Right there. It was christened there. You know, I, I read a story, by the way, because I knew you were on the Hancock, so I, I started reading about the history of it and uh, and and where you guys had gone uh, in the Pacific campaign there. And one of the things that was interesting is that boat was actually su- supposed to be, it was laid down as the Ticonderoga. Right. Did you know that story? Yeah. And, and that the Hancock Company was in Boston and said, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to pay for, yeah, they we're going to build this, but you got to change it. Change the name. And apparently there was a ship laid down in Norfolk that was called the Hancock, and they just switched names, and that one became the that's Ticonderoga. Right. That's so funny to me. I, yeah. But uh, the insurance company that's right. was paying for the ship, and they said it's going to be our name on it, the Hancock Insurance Company. Yeah. Well, it's, things. The more things change, the more they stay the same. I guess. Well, uh, they. <laughs> Although I don't know how many. I don't know corporations are naming boats nowadays, but uh, <laughs> but if they're building it, then yeah. <laughs> nowadays they build stadiums, and they say yeah. this is going to be the Hancock Stadium or something. Yeah, there was the insurance company that provided the money to build it. Yeah. And they provided the money by having donations yep. and everything. It was like a bond drive. Bond drive yeah. and everything. I was there at the christening as a, uh, a color guard or just for show. Sure. What, what, did you have to stay in information? Were you information up for it? Yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. We were there for that. And uh, watched the lady try to crack the bottle and couldn't crack the bottle. <laughs> you see this a lot for some reason. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you got to put some oomph behind it. So it was fun. <clears throat> and then... We shipped out the next day, and then we had some bugs on the ship yeah. that all had to be taken care of. We sailed down to Trinidad on the shakedown cruise. <clears throat> we had two days on Trinidad and then turned around and came back. And they took care of all the problems that were sh- shaken out. And... Um, 
then we were on our way. Made, went down through and we got into the Pacific through the uh, Panama Canal. And that was tight. This much room on each side of the ship going through there in the locks. And uh, I think one. Yeah, that was a big boat, right? I mean, going through the. Uh, yeah, there wasn't, going there through wasn't the canal. much room. There um, wasn't much room. I mean, the Hancock was uh, uh, a carrier. Yeah. Uh, and uh, so on the one they, side of the canal, the ship had liberty while they were getting everything set up and, and written so that they could go through and have enough room on each side. Had about that much room on each side of the carrier. So like inches. <clears throat> Full attention. And uh, so they were doing that, and the uh, port side had liberty on one side and the starboard side of the ship had liberty on once we got to the other side in in Panama in uh, Panama and uh, they were bringing sailors and marines back by the truckload and dumping them out out of the under the walk the dock stiff as nails from drinking <laughs> <laughs> and there was right across the, on the other side of this big walkway or dockway, there was a British cruiser there that had been in port there doing it. And they had were carrying all those guys back, and some of the Marines and the cruiser had been in little skirmishes already with each other in town after the booze. <laughs> Isn't that the way it always is? Amen. And so the Marines that were not uh, on shore the first night, we had guard duty. That the Limeys stayed on the other side and the Marines got carried on board on this side. (laughs) Oh, too funny. Yeah, so the Marines, you know how, and this is how it still is today, right? So Marines, if they're by themselves, they'll fight each other. If they're with the Navy, they'll they'll fight the sailors. If there's uh, it, you know any difference at all, so if if the Brits are there, then the Navy and the Marines are together all of a sudden, right? And then the yeah. Brits are, you know, but 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 ultimately everybody knows that uh, you're 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 headed across um, uh, to to fight the Japanese. Um, but but yeah, I can't imagine. So what what was it like? All of that going in, the the nerves, the anxiety. You know, you're going over to the Pacific. Of course, uh, there's going to be drinking and uh, and some fisticuffs along the way because there's a lot of pent up right there. Uh, up yeah, <laughs> that's right. Uh, so yeah, what was it? What was it like for you when uh, when you were on your way to the Pacific and making your way over there? Well, you know, other than going through the canal there, there was. Never any real excitement. Uh, then we got through the canal and we just sailed directly to Pearl. And uh, we were not in Pearl very long, but we were in for it to fix and amend and adjust all the faults found in the cruise across to Pearl. And uh, in Pearl, we, each port side had a uh, 
uh, three-day uh, leave like, and then, then the starboard side had a three-day leave in Pearl. Now, we <coughs> there was some uh, beach they took us to, uh, but at the beach uh, there was a CB here, and the beach was like this, and a CB here, a CB here, and a CB here with rifles for the sharks. <laughs> and that's where they took us swimming. And we all remembered that. Nobody got hurt, but there were a couple of sharks in there. Though. Yeah, well, I was stationed in Hawaii. I was stationed at Kaneohe Bay oh, for three and a half years. And, uh, yeah, there were plenty of sharks in the water around there, uh, yeah. that's for sure. I, I went scuba diving all the time, and you, you'd see them. I never saw any of the big tigers, but uh, smaller sharks you'd see all the time. They pretty much stayed away. I yeah. think we make a bigger deal out of them sometimes than we than we need to. But, but yeah, it's, it's still disconcerting to see some guys there with guns for sharks and then go, yeah, hey, go swimming on this beach. <laughs> They didn't have any action. I mean, wasn't, wasn't any action when any sharks yeah. came in or anything. I'll bet you they were probably wishing they were getting on the boat with you, actually. No one wants to be yeah, stationed. They were just shaking out what was experienced in the cruise over and yeah. getting the things done, paying attention, getting them done. Resupply, probably. A little. So you got, but you got what? You said three days in Hawaii before you. Yeah, three yeah. days they were yeah. getting things all put chip shape again, yeah. getting everything done that had to get done. Yeah, that must have been nice for a kid from uh, from New York. Oh man, that to, was to go see Hawaii. Something. Yeah, I remember the first time I got there and arrived. Now I came by I came by plane with my orders in hand, but uh, I remember getting off and being like, "Wow, this really is paradise." Yeah. <laughs> it was nice. Yeah. In fact, that's where my wife and I went on our honeymoon. <laughs> nice. Was there? No, 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 we didn't go there. That was another trip we took. Yep. We took a trip. Well, it's still always a good idea to take your wife to Hawaii, I think. <laughs> it was fun. All right, so, yeah, you got refitted, um, got all the bugs taken <clears throat> care of on the boat, and then and then you got shipped out again. And then we shipped out. Um, where was uh, the Hancock probably already had its orders. What were your orders from there? You know, I don't know where we were going, but we were in battle pretty quick, I think. Uh, maybe a matter of days after that, we were in battle, and we had uh, uh, many attacks. And uh, I think we shot down a lot of bogeys. Had couple land right on the ship and when they blew up you know unfortunately <clears throat> uh, one of them the the fuselage of the plane everything got busted above the ship hit our one gun mount and a lot of the a lot of the Marines were killed and wounded on that gun mount on the, uh, I was on the starboard side. And uh, 
What do you remember about that? The uh, you, you, you pulled out of port there, Pearl Harbor. You said it was only a matter of days before you were in combat. Um, what was it like the first time you were you were on the gun, and the uh, and you guys made contact? Well, we had a lot of uh, false alarms, you know, the, picking up bogeys on the radar and stuff like that. You know, the detection devices they have today are a heck of a lot better than what you had back then. Sure. So we had a lot of uh, false alarms. And it was exciting. You, you had to get to your gun stations pretty quick. I mean, you, you had to be there fast, fast. Yeah, I bet you did a lot of general quarters drills well, we well before of, you. We did that in a lot of torpedo defense. Yeah. Where, and just the gunners went running to the uh, the guns, mount the guns. Uh, and uh, we had 20 millimeters and 40 millimeters. And I was on a, I was a gunner on the 20, 20 millimeters. And uh, I had a loader, Joe Skura was a loader. Our magazines were about that big around, about that thick and loaded with 20 millimeter shells. And they, when you were shooting it, they, they dissipate pretty fast, so then they, the loader has got to get another uh, one off and into your gun pretty fast. Uh, and we got our baptismal fire with some bogeys coming in. But, you know, one thing that came to mind, <coughs> being at General Quarters, when the Franklin got hit and it, blew up and exploded, and it was really badly hit. We were in the same flotilla, and we were off to their port side. And uh, we'd all, the whole uh, fleet we were in had general quarters, and then we went down, our ship, Hancock went down to torpedo defense, which meant everybody except guns go and get chow. And uh, the guns were still manned and torpedo defense. And we saw this plane come, and the Franklin was, also, that's, there was a CV, that was a CV like us too. Okay. Uh, it was, in fact, it was the same ship in duplicate. We saw <clears throat> a Jap plane beyond them a little bit, still coming in, and they had uh, gone to uh, torpedo defense where the Franklin was uh, still had guns mounted, but everybody else was on doing other things, and we were still on general quarters, and we were still mounting the guns. We saw the Jap, I think it was a Betty, but I'm not sure. We saw it coming in and turn in and fly right up on the Franklin, drop two bombs, fly away. It was terrible, and the Franklin got beat up so bad, so many guys wounded and killed, and it's because they were not prepared. 
they didn't even shoot it at it, I don't think, until it was going away. And you were you were uh, in position. You saw that whole thing happen. Yeah, and we couldn't fire, or be we'd be firing yep. at the Franklin. Yeah, you'd be shooting your own. Uh... That was bad. What was bad it? day. And you, you mentioned it was a Betty. I, I can't remember what the Betty is, uh, what the model was. It's a type of Japanese aircraft, a bomber, um, dive bomber type aircraft, right? Mm -hmm. um, but uh, and you knew those, of course. So the the first time, so let, you were coming across. Obviously, you had at this point when the Franklin got hit, you had already been in contact a couple of times. But you're coming across. You had had a bunch of uh, false. Uh, flags, as you had said, you know, false right. starts. And then the first time you go to quarters and and you see a, a Japanese aircraft, do you remember that? I really don't remember the first time. It was a hectic day. Oh, I'm sure. It was a hectic day, I remember. A lot of action, a lot of activity. And uh, I don't remember which battle it was in, but... Uh, our, uh, but it was only but it was shortly after you left Pearl Harbor. Yeah, it wasn't long. Yeah. It wasn't long, and we were in uh, a number of battles after that, but in one of them, yeah, certain battles stick out in your mind. Uh, uh, our gun mount on the uh, starboard side uh, was hit with a kamikaze and uh, the whole gun mount was practically wounded or killed because it was a bad, it was a bad time. And uh, this was your gun mount? Yeah, not mine. It was on the other side of the ship. We had gun mounts on port and starboard side. Yeah. And the starboard side, uh, a lot of the Marines got uh, very badly wounded or killed in that when that guy hit that a lot of old friends good friends you know you, know, you, get, you make friends pretty fast really of when course you're under battle and uh, yeah well you mentioned your your, your uh, loader joe so, joe right was the loader joe yeah. joe scura joe scura was from new york city yeah no, the, the I, I mean, of course you make friends. Huh? Of oh, course yeah. you make friends right away. I mean, there's no... Yeah. Well, there's, the, the bonds that you form when you're in combat, um, yeah. I mean, the bonds of being in the military are already very strong, but when you're, when you're in contact with the enemy, those bonds are... Uh, there's something else that happens. Well, uh, I don't think it was that battle that uh, I had a first-hand experience of uh, this Betty, I think it was a Betty. That's what we called a jet plane. Uh, came in and uh, we're firing at him. And uh, I see him drop his bomb. And that bomb came right towards me. I knew it was going to hit me. And uh, that bomb landed right in front of my gun. And it was a 500 and some pounder. 
went through the deck and left a big hole in the deck, and it didn't detonate until it hit the water. I mean, but it was like two feet in front of me. And, Unbelievable. And uh, so I was blessed. <coughs> That's unreal. So a 500-pounder hit the boat a few feet in front of you, but didn't detonate. It went through the hull and detonated when it hit the water. Right. I think they said it was a 550-pounder. And it hit the water, and then it exploded. Yeah, if it, if it would have detonated when it hit, you, you wouldn't be here. I wouldn't be here. Nobody in that gun mount would be here. Yeah, I mean, 550-pounders. And, that, and that's the only hit that when we had one other one where we blew up uh, another one of the Jeps planes, and I don't remember what that one was. But we blew it up in a, a part of the wing in a fuselage hit just off of our our gun mounts, our gun mount. You usually had six or seven guns on each mount, and it hit just off of the the end of the gun mount, and it didn't fortunately didn't do much damage, and it uh, they were able to just push it over the side. But the other side of the ship, the, that part of our crew, was many of them were wounded very badly, and so they had to somehow get some of them uh, off the ship. And I think they did get them off somehow. I don't know how they did, but they got them off and got better uh, activity for them. But we lost quite a few of our members. In fact, uh, one uh, uh, Jap was blown up over. It was right by the, right in front of the flight deck of the conning tower, and <clears throat> hit one of our gun mounts. That again is over the side, but it was a little bigger mount. And that it was kamikaze. He hit that, and he killed and wounded a lot of our Marines there. But uh, and then those were the only two serious ones we had. With uh, but they were serious. I was going to say that they're, yeah. that's serious enough. I mean, that's. Yeah. You know, Kamikaze, it's still an amazing thing to me, the whole concept. Uh, you know, we read about it. We understand that Japanese culture was uh, was very honor-driven. And, um, you know, but the idea that uh, guys were, were willing to just try and fly into well, a ship. Well, they, uh, they knew that they were, the battles were going against them. Yeah, yeah. So they, it was a desperation move uh, yeah, in a way. That's right, what yeah. it was. Yeah, you, you don't have to uh, you don't have to train a pilot um, as well to uh, to stay alive and fight in the air as you do to uh, to fly an aircraft right. Um, right. at a point. And that's what they were doing uh, to any yeah. chance they had a shot at the fleet. That's what they were doing. Just amazing. Yeah, that's a different uh, that's a different cultural mindset for sure. Well, that's why it was so incongruous when the guy come in and 
we could see him coming in, but we couldn't fire because it was right off our uh, our uh, starboard side, and uh, you couldn't fire because you'd be shooting right at the ship in that direction anyway. And it just came in, say the ship is here like this, ship is going, it's going that way. Yeah. But he came in behind him, went, flew over, dropped two bombs, and flew away. Now they got him, but after he'd done the damage, and it was terrible damage. Yeah. Because they were had secured from general quarters, and we couldn't do a thing. But that happens. Yeah. Wartime is not predictable. And we had a lot of... <clears throat> we had one in particular which had a uh, consequential ending. Our berthing in the Marines was below decks, below the uh, flight deck, below the hangar deck. And I don't know how many other decks we were down. But it we doesn't matter. You can, always, you can always hear that activity. <laughs> I know that. You, you get down in your berth, and you just get used to the sound of, uh, of constant mechanics and planes. And, uh, and uh, uh, what was I going to say? You were talking about your berthing. Oh, with the berthing. One time we had a ship uh, plane come in, its wings were folded up, and the guns were still on, and somebody touched it through the flight deck, and the pilot's ready room was right below the flight deck there. A couple of pilots got wounded, and by our own ship folding up like that, so... They had a change of orders that uh, moved the ready room down into where our Marines quarters used to be and prettied it up a little bit for the pilots. But we damn we, pilots. We no, <laughs> we we praised them then because we were moved up into their quarter. And it was pretty nice. <laughs> I mean, the best quarters we had all the time in the war. Okay, but the, the, but those quarters weren't the ones in danger of being shot up on deck. Were no, okay, no, good. No. <laughs> uh. So they moved the Marines up there, and that was, but it was fun. It was great, great living then. I remember at night when the war was over, and we were just cruising, picking up. We. Went to Japan, and we got some time there. We all got to get off the ship, but when it took us off the ship, they had a uh, uh, metal walkway, like about as big as this table. And, well, maybe with the two ends cut off because it was more square. And then tied it to a cable and put, uh, I think, 12 of us Marines on at a time. And uh, because we weren't taking the ships, the big ships in, 
and lowered us down in, on this big uh, Like it went down to some other uh, ship, a, a boat that could take us and take us ashore. And it was, uh, that was on uh, Ulithia, I think. And uh, we went ashore there. We had a day off. And uh, I walk on the shore and I don't know if I told you this already. You never know. And uh, I'm walking along, and all of a sudden, somebody else passed. Did I tell you that? Yeah, right at the beginning, we were talking about how you, when you were in Alithi, uh, your buddy from back home. Yeah. He got us some beer. That's right. Got you some extra beer on the ration there. Yeah, anytime you, you know a guy that can get you a couple extra... <laughs> couple extra brews that's a that's that's a good friend right there <laughs> geez can it, it's it's really just amazing i can't even you know obviously i i've been to i've been to afghanistan i've been to iraq but i i, I have not seen the kind of action that you would have seen uh, by any means and it's just uh, hard to picture I, I can't imagine you know what it's like you know it's going back to to uh to whether it's a kamikaze attack or, or a dive bomb type attack i mean something like the Hancock must have had. How hard was it for those guys to get through that? That must have been just a wall of lead you guys were throwing out there. Oh, it was. And you wonder how they, some of those uh, jet planes got through it all. Yeah. But they did. Well, they did, especially if we were lax, like the Franklin was. It was lax. Well, it seems like that Japanese pilot... Caught them on a on a bad day, and he, he he probably got very lucky in that case. Although, like you said, they got him afterwards. They did get him. Yeah. Yeah, that must be something else. So you're, I mean, you're just one, you're, you're one gun uh, as part of a whole mount, and the whole Hancock is just probably lit up like the Fourth of July as as planes are coming in, and and you're just. Uh, and you were actually a gunner, so you, you you would have been on the site, right? You're watching these guys, just trying to sight in on them. Right. So they're coming in. Right. They, they, didn't they have, I think I read one time, they had some kind of a special site that, that had been developed. Um, it, it was like a gyroscopic site. Did you did you guys have that? No. Okay. I mean. Maybe it was later, maybe it was later on. But No, the 20 millimeters were actually uh, the... Uh, whole magazine that held 25 shells was about that big around and about that wide and just enough to have that many shells in there. And uh, you had loader, each gunner had a loader and that's all the loader did was pick up these racks and then when when it was empty, take it off, put a new one on. That's what they did all the time. So, um, and you were just aiming through iron sights, just fixed iron sights. Yeah. 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 That's what we had. Man, that's amazing. That that must be an incredible, developing that skill must've been difficult. Well, you know, you had tracer shells. Sure. Yeah. It did a lot easier so you could see where you were shooting, but 
you didn't have a sight on there like uh, you know, of any type of uh, assistance yeah. with electronics or anything like there, that. Yeah, there was something, there was a site that they had uh, come up with, and I, I maybe it was just later on in the war, but it was a gyroscopic site that was invented by some engineer at MIT, at, and it was like one of basically one of the first you know computer type sites it well that would have been we had a uh, we had a five incher on board too and we had some uh, uh, 40 millimeter guns yeah. as well and they might have had them on them but they never had them those are, on the those 20 are big millimeter. those are big <laughs> never had them on the 20 millimeter yeah at least not it's 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 weird to think of a 20 millimeter as uh, as small yeah. But yeah, compared to a forty or a five incher, <laughs> I mean, wow, yeah, yeah. So I, I mean, I had a twenty millimeter on on the Cobra. We have a twenty millimeter yeah. cannon. Yeah. I ran the front Gatling gun. Big. That's a big shell. But a big yeah, shell. a forty millimeter is is bigger. <laughs> and a five inch. And a five. <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I don't even think I've ever seen something like that. So I don't. Uh, yeah. Wow. Yeah, so just a straight iron sight. So you're just, you're, it's Kentucky windage, right? You're just having to lead that plane and, and, and you're walking your tracers up. And um, yeah, just amazing. Amazing. So that was, um, where was the first time you, after you left Pearl Harbor, you got into contact a few times? Uh, the Franklin, uh, you know, the, the Franklin didn't sink, did it? it no. Yeah. No. I think I remember reading about that, it, but it was. Pretty crippled. Pretty crippled pretty yeah. badly. Uh, where was the first time you guys uh, went ashore again for resupply out there? I think it was at Ulithi. Okay, yeah, so Ulithi. And that's where you met your buddy from back home uh, and got a couple extra beers and yeah. uh, probably felt normal for a little yeah. bit. Yeah. It's it's amazing, right? What we get to, we get used to as as normal, yeah. right? Yeah, it's, normal. it's just your normal. I mean, you, you know that at any time you're going to be uh, back in contact with the enemy, but meanwhile, you you, you still got to go to Chow. You go to <laughs> you, you're still going to probably play uh, some cards with your buddies when you can. Uh, write letters home, get mail. It's amazing how we continue. Or we're able to continue to do that. Well, the mail call got disrupted when we were in battle condition well i would imagine so (laughs) days and days you might get a stack of mail that high that would come the bags would be full. everybody got a stack of mail yep yep yeah when you're finally able to get mail to the uh, fleet all of a sudden it's like you're reading uh you know five or ten letters or, or more well i had an older sister that worked for was this the secretary of the year? Huh? Was this the secretary of the year? Yeah. yeah. She she always had mail for me. She was she was the oldest child in the family, and she did great with letters coming. Isn't that the best feeling, by the way? Yeah. When uh, you get mail. Amen. It, it, mail call. I mean, your heart. I remember, you know, even for me, I, I and I didn't see near the action you saw, but I just remember being over there and being like, my heart would just swell. Like, yes, yes, someone has sent me something. Yeah. There's still something normal back yeah. home that, that resembles what I know. Yeah. When they yelled pass for mail oh, call, yeah. amen. <laughs> I, I can feel that. I can feel that happiness even when you say it now. Well, you know, it sometimes took a long time to get there. I mean, it might have been 
two or three weeks in transit. Yeah, it's 1944, and oh, by the way, you're in... <laughs> You're in combat, so yeah, I can imagine it took a very long time to get there. But my sister Genevieve was pretty darn good about it, making sure that the other kids in the family wrote something and put it in the same package and sent it all. God bless her. She was great. Well, she was a superwoman. It sounds like it. It sounds like she was special. She was Secretary of the Year in the United States one time. So she she was a fine lady. Well, nowadays uh, those those sharp women are uh, are wearing the uniform and going into yeah. combat with us. Amen. Uh, served with some great great uh, men and women that you know. So there are still sharp. I mean, uh, you know, young Americans still want to serve. Um, they still we still get just sharp sharp kids. Matter of fact, I would say that. Uh, contrary to what a lot of people think nowadays, kids are really, really smart. They may be smarter, I think, than we ever were. Uh, they certainly have grown up differently uh, with, you know, with different uh, comforts and technology. Uh, but that difference doesn't necessarily mean worse. Uh, you still get really great, great uh, people that join. Uh, and I, I think better than probably my generation was, and, and they'll probably be better in the next generation. The one thing I do kind of wonder, though, is we don't have that mass sort of patriotic uh, appeal to join and serve that we had during World War II. Now, I I get it. Um, You know, World War II was a very clear, it was a very clear imperative, at least, I think, looking back with hindsight, that uh, there was something that needed to be, if there was ever a war that was, you know, I don't want to say good, quote unquote good, but a war that was necessary. Uh, it was probably World War II. Um, and so I think that maybe, maybe many young people nowadays look and see that, hey, maybe where we're fighting isn't quite that imperative. But but we get great, great men and women still. And and I, when you mention your sister like that, I'm thinking, man, she, she should have been in uniform. We probably could have used she her. Been great. Yeah. yeah. She would have been great. Yeah. She's a great woman. Well, God bless her. I, I just uh, when you said when they yelled your name, Posh, on mail call, I just know exactly how that feels. Yeah. Hey, Posh, and you're like, yes, something from back home, something that be a big package. Yeah, letters and everything. yeah, and you probably couldn't wait to get a little downtime to go and read them all and yeah. and write back and. But you, of course, I, I met. Yeah, you were probably very limited on what you could write. Um, obviously, well, you, you could write and you could. Put them in the mail room, and yeah. then once they took the mail, uh, if you had a, a plane that was flying someplace where they could drop the mail off to get it shipped back. Yeah. So you uh, you were in Ulithi. What'd you do? You retrofitted uh, the ship. Got yeah refitted and uh, probably bad. took on. Did you take on uh, n- new uh, crew as well? Oh, yeah. Yeah, because yeah. they probably had guys shipped to you, Lithy, to, to come on board. Yeah. Uh, obviously, when you're taking casualties, you know, an entire gun mount, um, that's that, that would be disconcerting. I know you have backup crews, but at a certain point, there's only so much backup. You can't, if you have a crew that's on general quarters for, uh, you well, know. Well, that, you know, that shook up the rest of it. Yeah, I mean, that's right. It, it, that has a domino effect. Right. Yeah. So yeah, you probably brought on some uh, some some wet behind the ears uh, kids, and and you probably did you have anyone new? Did you have to train anybody while? I had, I had the same loader 
all through the war. Yeah, Joe. And so I didn't have to train anybody. But I had other jobs that I... I was the executive officer's orderly for a while. When you weren't on... You had to do something. Yeah, yep. And so, I mean, I would run messages they didn't want. He'd write something down, and I'd have to take it to another officer someplace. They didn't want any radio contact. And... Uh, I was executive officer. I chased prisoners uh, to the captain's mast, and then they'd he'd hear their case, and then you know what can they get get in trouble doing? But they did dumb things. Uh, I don't know why. Uh, Marines and sailors will yeah. always find a way to do dumb things. I mean, it, to to this day, it's still like that. We we still are like, how how in the world did you? How are you getting into trouble doing it? But boy, yeah, it's fun. It's uh, well, there's two more, two in our group were Collins and Manclaw, and they were always fighting each other, <laughs> and always disrupting everything that was going on. Yeah. Huh? So, so this is why we can't have nice things. Somebody's always trying to, <laughs> so, and and then we all get you know what, and then and then the officers make orders. You know, based on on you know one or two guys, mm-hmm. you know, and then it ruins it for everybody. And you're like, mm-hmm. God, bless it. <laughs> oh, I could see it. I mean, it, it, Collins and Mankla, I think was what you said. I, I've seen many Collins and Manklas uh, throughout my time. We had a hard a hard duty every once right after these battles when. Um, um, a lot of ship members were killed, and we had to go there. And uh, uh, if we then were not engaged in any activity and nothing nearby, they would have burials at sea. And so then we had to go there and give a gun salute. Yeah, that was part of our duties too. You know, nowadays, if you if you see one of those, uh, you know, it's a bad thing. You you must have been seeing them just routinely. Well, you know, a couple times there after we had the big hits, uh, there were a lot of deaths, and then you know, five or six at a time. But it was a different, different lifestyle. <clears throat> Not one I'd recommend, but. Well, yeah, I don't think anyone would recommend that. On the other hand, you know, it needed to be done. And we needed, we needed guys like you. And we still need guys and gals that are ready to put themselves in that in harm's way. I think people forget that, you know, there, there is, you know, for those who have, for those of us who have served and have gone um, to dangerous places, there's a recognition that sometimes, sometimes you, you know, fighting is necessary, sometimes. Well, you know, and it gets to the point where you know it's time, you know it's time. And at a certain point, too, you forget, uh, I know for me at least, you, you kind of forget the broader the broader picture. 
So while World War II was certainly a, I think, just fight, a just cause to fight for, um, you forget about that from the from your own personal perspective, and it really becomes about you and your job, and the guy next to you, Joe. Right. And it's like, yeah, okay, there's a there's a global political thing here, but really, it comes down to me and Joe being being an uber efficient team on this twenty millimeter, right. and making sure that those planes don't get through. Right. And it and it and you forget about that global political, you know, right. the stuff that caused it. Yeah, I, I when I was out there, I was never thinking no. about the political consequences. <laughs> I know that you know I knew I knew that my my mom went to work and my sisters all went to work and uh working in factories and doing all the things that were necessary a couple of them worked at Bell Aircraft making choppers and so the Women folk at that time all took hand. Yeah. Took over and did all the work in the factories. What an amazing time to to have been an American. Uh, you know, from from my perspective now looking back, it seems like the whole country was was very united. There they was were. And they and were. and so now looking at where we are and and we're so divided, it's it's very hard to for someone to uh you know to take to to take now's time and especially someone younger like me um i say young comparatively i guess uh you know I, i've never i don't remember the country ever being really united and especially now do you remember do you remember that part of your life more vividly than than others i mean obviously you came back so um you at some point, you came back from the war. You you met you met somebody. You got married. You had a family. Well, you know, I got married to my dear Lois, and we had a great life together. And we raised uh, eight children. Yeah, you know, so it's a great and then a lot of grandchildren. You know, I mean, you have all this extended family still around, and your and your your sisters, uh, your your siblings are still. You get to see them, and oh, yeah. it's just just it's just great. Do you ever think back on 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 the young man that was aboard the Hancock? Do you, do you remember that young man? Is he, you know, afterwards you raised a family, you had a you had a career, you uh, you you've done all these things. Does that young man is it sort of just a like a blurry memory, or do you identify yeah, with him? It's a blurred memory. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm nowhere near um, that. But even even looking back at who I was when I joined the Marine Corps back in in '94, uh, I, I I still look at the, I look back on that young man. And I go, who was that? Who is that kid? Because it's it's not the same guy that's sitting here. Um, I, I I'm I imagine you probably have a little bit of that same thing. You can probably look at a photograph from your days on the Hancock and be like, who who was that kid right there? <laughs> Well, you know, I, my son Kenny is a uh, uh, was in the Air Force. I think he's either a lieutenant colonel. That's right. Well, we talked. I don't know if he told you, but we talked um, very recently uh, for yeah, a while. You? Yeah, I mean, he's been super successful. Uh, you must yeah, be very he's proud. Been great. Yeah, he's been doing a great job. Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, he, and as a matter of fact, he was when we talked after after our talk, we we actually talked about uh, uh, fathers because my father passed away um, recently, two two years ago now, and uh, um, but he was only seventy one, and and uh, and I I remember I was talking to Ken, and I said, yeah, you know, when you lose your father, you know how that is. He goes, no, my father's still with us, and I was like, really? He goes, yeah, and then he mentioned that you were a marine. I was like. That's amazing. I, he goes, yeah, you guys would have a lot. I was like, well, I want to, I want to talk. I want to talk to Ken Posh Senior. And so that's how we, that's how I came here today. Is that Ken mentioned? I was like, well, let me, you know. And I asked. I was like, you think your dad would be willing to talk one old marine to another? And mm-hmm. and that's how I came here. And I'm so glad that we're doing this because I, I just already I just feel so. It's just good to talk with other marines and especially marines that. Uh, have had that experience that you had. And I didn't know if you had ever, I asked Ken if you had ever told your story, and that was, and and he said, no, I don't think he has. No, I didn't. Well, that's great. So, well, yeah. And, well, you know, my father-in-law was uh, in the infantry in WW1, and uh, he would, he was in the Lost Battalion there, and when the Germans were coming after him, and they finally one out. I think he told me there was a thousand U.S. troops in there, and the Lost Battalion came out ninety nine. Yeah, and he was one of the ninety nine. Ken told me that too uh, when we talked, your son, and I. I couldn't believe it. I, I know the story of the Lost Battalion, and that's unreal. And yeah, he was one of them that walked out of there. Right. <laughs> Uh, just amazing. Well, I don't know as he walked out. He well, walked out with a, key, uh, a crutch. He, he, yeah, he because he, he, he'd been wounded and he wounded in the leg, I think. But uh, but he came out and he was he, he was still he, there to tell the story and yeah. and damn few of them were left. So yeah, well, he showed me a couple of pictures of the '99 when the, the, right at the end they took a picture of the whole group and he was in the group and. Uh, it was hard to get him to talk about it. I can't imagine. I, I imagine the guys in World War One. I, I, I mean, I've I've read the stories, and I actually there's a there's a great audio series about it, and it just sounded horrific. And I think the further you go back, it, it seems like warfare has was was always more horrific in the past. Yeah. Uh, I don't want to say that it's become more, cl- but it is. It's more clinical. It's more clinical. I mean. Um, uh, I, I I have Hellfire missiles on my Cobra, and if you tell me Hellfire missiles, okay. they're laser guided. I mean, if you if you tell me, hey, I, I, the, the, you know, there's an enemy on the fourth floor in the third window from the right, I can put a missile in that put window. A in that window, and it, yeah, and so it's become clinical. So what what your father-in-law would have seen with the Lost Battalion is even. You know, dwarfs what we've seen, yeah, uh, yeah. and yours, your combat dwarfs what I've seen, and and maybe that you know, and that, that's probably a good thing and a bad thing. But I mean, it, it makes uh, you know, maybe one day we'll get to a point where we're just not fighting at all. I don't know, human nature being what it is, I don't know if that's going to come. Yeah, but you're you're far less likely nowadays to be to have to go to war or to be killed in a war uh, or violently. Yeah, things things always get better, and that's you know, it's. It, Look at what we're doing here, right, Ken? I mean, you've seen so many changes. Amen. What, uh, 
sometimes do you look around and just think, what in the world? Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, what do, you, what do you make of the technology of now? Well, you know, it's mind-boggling to me. It, well, me too. <laughs> it's mind-boggling. And I have difficulty keeping up with the changes. They've changed so fast. I mean, it, things that are going on today uh, are just one expression, mind-boggling. Yeah. And Ken, it, it, luckily, you're you're in a position where you... You don't have to keep up, really. You're surrounded by your family and your loved ones, oh, yeah. and and you're you're long retired, and you uh, and you just have to worry about enjoying your your family. Amen. And uh, but you still get to watch it happen. Yeah. And you know, from going from uh, uh, being a young boy and catching uh, and catching softies there in, in the river, and then looking around at at, at these the smartphones, Amen. and uh, it just must. Yeah, mind-boggling is a great word, and it, it must be just fascinating. What was it like, by the way? So, uh, going back, you you did you stay? In, you didn't stay in the Marine Corps long, right? No, I was in probably longer than I wanted to be. But <laughs> about four weeks, because we got stalled out in in the West Coast, and all our officers had left as far as we knew and gone and we were in the uh, Navy base there in uh, Frisco we're in the Navy base there and uh, we could go to the mess halls and we could do that but we weren't getting paid we're just scrounging whatever we had money we had left to go out on liberty and uh, but we could go on liberty anytime we wanted to. But we were just like uh, lost souls in a, this huge big San Diego naval base. And we we'd eat at this mess hall. There was I think there was twelve of us that were still stuck out there because they lost our papers. So we'd eat at this mess hall and we'd go around. We kept going around. Finally, we were in a mess hall where Major Hildahl, who had been our CEO, was there. I said, what are you guys doing here? He said, well, we've been trying to get our papers cleared up so we can, they'll discharge us and let us go. Oh, shoot. He got on that, and then two, within two days, we were on a train coming back to the East Coast. But it was snap food. Yeah, I was gonna say. So it was uh, was this after uh, VJ Day? Yeah. Yeah. So you were in the Pacific until the uh, Japanese surrender. Yeah, yeah. That must have been something, by the way. It really was. It was hallelujah. In fact, they took us off the ships just to go in uh, and occupy Japan, and we were on an Air Force base. Air Force base. There was no nobody was left there. But boy, those. Those pilots had soft living from the quarters they had. I mean, in the back. Again, pilots. <laughs> Those jet pilots really. I'm, had, I'm not going to apologize as a pilot, by the way. <laughs> they had it made, I'm yeah. telling you. But we were there just uh, about four or five, no, maybe longer than that, maybe 12 or 13 days. 
we were in Japan occupying this one Air Force base. And we got liberty to go in town one day. And, of course, no language. Yeah. And, uh, and, and oh, by the way, you, you were literally fighting their country. Right. Uh, just a uh, day before, we, yeah. We, we were vicious people. Yeah. We were vicious people. That must have been just so, yeah, so, so surreal. Did you know that the, uh, did you, were you guys aware of when the, the, uh, the two bombs were dropped, the atomic bombs? Yeah. Yeah, we, 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 it was announced to us on yeah. board when they'd been dropped. And then it wasn't long after that when they surrendered. I don't know how long it was. Yeah, yeah, but they it wasn't long. I... Surrender pretty quickly. We started having some uh, desperation moves. The Japanese pilots flying whatever they could to get out to us until they finally declared surrender. Yeah. And so we were there. Uh, so they announced it. They announced it. And then we went to... Uh, and, and did they announce it, like, over the, uh, over the ship's uh, intercom? Yeah. Yeah, just... So that was it. I just want to know. I, I, I guess you probably can't remember exactly what, what was said. Was or, hallelujah. In fact, I think some of us got in trouble for firing our... Our guns and everything. Yeah. <laughs> Hallelujah, it's over. Yeah, that must have been an incredible feeling. And then knowing that you were coming, you were going to be and headed back. We, it was over. We didn't have yeah. to have to live with this anymore. Yeah. Except that some of us, especially the guys that got wounded and everything, uh, the guys on my gun crew... Uh, didn't last very long after the war. They ended up in, uh, well, some of them had been wounded at sea, too, or hurt pretty badly. And uh, got back here, and we went right back to Boston, and then we got discharged there. And took off, and everybody went home. Um, it, it's just so after all of that and and going to war and seeing all that and having friends killed and and everything you saw to to just go home must have been it must have been a very odd feeling it was uh, obviously joyous because you're home and uh and then probably bittersweet because uh you know you had lost friends i uh, did you adjust well when you came back or? i think i did you know i Met my wife not long after that, and uh, we, uh, after about a year's dating, uh, we got married and had kids galore. <laughs> but we raised eight kids, and all of them are still alive. Yeah. Well, if if, if Ken's an indication, you've done a great job, a uh, great job. We enjoyed our lives. My dear wife died young, though. She had yeah, it's a tough story. But all the kids are still. Well, I was going to say you have your family around you, and yeah. it's uh, you're obviously very loved. And yeah. 
Well, Ken, we've been at it for, it's been, it's close to three hours wow. at this point. Um, I, I, I want to say, you know, from one old Marine to another, thank you so much for your service. Uh, uh, the entire country owes you a debt of gratitude. And I'm so, I'm, I'm really just so happy that we got to sit down and talk and, Please, and I talk. Enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I did too. Um, but for that part of your life that you were on the Hancock, um, uh, all of this nation is grateful. Uh, and I'm, I'm going to offer it from one Marine to another. Appreciate Thank that. you so much. Thank you. I enjoyed you've, it. You've raised a beautiful family. You're obviously very loved. I'm so glad you're still here and enjoying the, uh, their love and companionship. And uh, hoorah, Semper Fi, Marine. Semper Fi. Hey, thanks again, everybody, for joining us today in the Ready Room. Uh, today's conversation was truly an honor for me. I, I hope you enjoyed uh, hearing Ken's story. Uh, and for those who are interested on our uh, website at uh, readyroombrief.com, uh, I posted a picture of uh, Joe Scarra, uh, <laughs> Ken's uh, loader, right in front of the 20 mil- their 20-millimeter gun there on the Hancock with the... Um, with a big hole in the hole where that 500-pounder uh, hit. And I posted that there on the uh, on the readyroombrief.com. You can also find it. I posted it on Instagram and Facebook. I uh, hope you did like today's conversation. I hope you enjoyed it. I know I did. Uh, if you want to join us again, please uh, subscribe at iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, wherever it is you're getting your podcast today. Uh, and we look forward to bringing you more of the same in the future with exciting and inspirational folks from all walks of life. I'm your host, Richard Frederick, and we'll see you next time in the Ready Room.